Presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with you heard him mentioned on the Celtics broadcast, the silent assassin Matt Costa is here as well. What did you think about that, Matt? Sean Grandy, voice of the Boston Celtics, throwing you out a little plug. I don't think it was meant for you, but no, but he used your catchphrase, he did, your nickname. I don't know. How big is this guy? Sean, I, not very big. Can I take him? Yeah, pretty easily. Right. Uh, yeah, I love him. He's a great guy. He's a hell of a play-by-play announcer, but uh, he is a slight man. There's and enough There's enough room for more than one silent assassin, I think. There is. There definitely Well, there's, isn't there a rapper named the silent assassin, too? Know. He he stole your name too. Everybody's a spooky South Coast fan these days. I don't know and what's that going on. Matt Costa guy. Oh yeah, let yeah. Me, let me just wait till I see him. <laughs> the the guy that like plays the guitar and doesn't yeah. wear shoes like Jack yeah. Johnson. Yeah. Matt there's only one Matt Moniz though. Thank God. At least as far as we know. That's talk again. Thank God. Wow, that new mic sounds awesome. I wish we all had new mics. <laughs> but uh Matt Moniz has a brand new microphone, so you can actually hear what he's saying now. Unlike that old uh, hunk of junk that used to be in that spot. That thing was circa 1930s, wasn't it? I, I think that was the one that Don Gillis actually used to use when he started on the station back in like the 1940s. So, I know my WBSM history, don't I, <laughs> folks? I do. And uh, we are here to put the BS in WBSM, as we do each and every Saturday night. We are Spooky South Coast. We talk about the paranormal, the strange, the unusual, ghosts, hauntings, UFOs, uh, Cryptozoology. Cryptozoology, government conspiracies, and uh, occasionally we talk about uh, things that aren't strange and unusual as well. But, you know, basically that's our bread and butter here. Matt Moniz, you missed a great show last week. You were uh, out in the field, but uh, you did not get to talk in our discussion with Steve Bassett where they started talking about this UFO disclosure event that's going to be coming soon that that they feel is, is just on the horizon. Uh, the government will no longer be able to hide what they know about UFOs. And the truth is going to come out, albeit in bits and pieces along the lines, but we're going to at least get acknowledgement soon from the U.S. government that uh, UFOs do indeed exist and that they've been visiting this planet for a number of years. Well, I got a chance to talk to Steve Bassett the week before when I was down in Atlantic City with him. I talked to him at great length. And and he just seems like a, a very passionate guy, and he seems you know he's it's, he's not one of these UFO crazies that's running around with all. I mean, he's going through very intelligent, un- very articulate, and he definitely has looked up the information he talks about. And he's going through very unique channels by taking things from a political action uh, standpoint. And uh, he, he was talking with us. We also had we were lucky enough to have Grant Cameron, who has uh, done a number of research on presidential UFO sightings and, and encounters, and. They were saying to us that, you know, Hillary Clinton seems to be the candidate that is the most likely to talk about UFOs, you know, and I'm thinking in my head the whole time, well, gee, it's too bad she's just getting spanked, you know, she she doesn't seem to have much of a shot anymore, and then Tuesday she has a big comeback. I'm not saying it's related to the fact that they were talking about Hillary Clinton and UFO disclosure on Spooky South Coast, and that's what led to her, you know, big (laughs) wins on Tuesday, but... 
That would be paranormal. Senator Clinton, if you're listening, uh, you know, you could kind of return the favor a little bit by coming on the show and, and, and talking UFOs with us. I'd certainly be welcome. I, I, I think if she calls Matt, you'll let me know. Uh, okay. Definitely. And then we'll get, we'll give Senator Obama equal time, Senator McCain. We'll get them, we'll give them all equal time. Come on. Yeah, whoever's willing. Talk about ghosts, UFOs, whatever they want to talk about. So, but that would be an interesting show, I, I can imagine, uh, I can imagine where that would go. Now, that was the uh, – you met him at the uh, Atlantic City UFO Conference Correct. a few weeks ago. Well, he's also having the X Conference coming up uh, April 28th through the 30th uh, down in Gaithersburg, uh, right outside of Washington, D.C. And you can go to uh, the xconference.com website and also to the paradigmresearchgroup.com website – I'm sorry, dot .org website. And you're gonna I'm be going to be in there. there. Yeah. As well as uh, coming up at the end of this month, Ghost Rush out in Volcano, California. Yes, I'll be out in California as well. And that's ghostrush.com if you want more information. It's just it, lots of cool people are going to be at that one. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's very unique. You know, they're not bringing in a lot of the flashier names, but they're bringing in a lot of the up and coming names. I mean, they've got Lloyd Auerbach, but for every Lloyd Auerbach that you bring in, they're also bringing in a Jeff Belanger, a Matt Moniz, a Todd Sheets, people who aren't usually at these conferences. You're going to see a bunch of different speakers than you would normally see. Uh, Amy Bruni did a really good job putting this together. She I, did. My hat off to her. And coincidentally enough, there's a, an article in Fate Magazine this month about uh, Ghost Rush Ghosts, about some of the spirit activity that's uh, in that area of California. So it's a nice little tie-in. I'm not sure if uh, Phyllis did that on purpose, but mm. you know it works out well. Well, speaking of uh, conferences and and. The ability to go out and meet some of the key names in the paranormal field. We have one of them on the line right now. He's our guest tonight. If you listen to Spooky South Coast, you know him, you love him. He is a demonologist and founder of Near Paranormal New England Anomalies Research. He is Keith Johnson, and he joins us tonight. How are you tonight, Keith? I'm doing fine, Tim. How are you doing? Spooktacular as always. It's great to be here as always. And, and we have a call out to Carl, but uh, he, he went out to the store. So oh well, we have right. a call he'll, out. He might be back us. eventually. I hope. Yeah. Sure. Well, I hope I hope he's not one of those people that goes out to the store and then doesn't come back. You know what I mean? Dad, Sometimes he Dad, forgets what he you. went for, so uh, takes him a while to remember. Well, uh, he he can call in if he does because we want to talk to him about this upcoming. Lovecraft event that he has going on. Oh, uh, yes. But for, b- before we get into that, let's talk about your upcoming class here in the city of New Bedford. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is going to be, we, we've attended the class, and it's a must for anybody that's interested in the paranormal. It'll be uh, Thursday, March 13th from 7 to 9 p.m. at the South Coast Learning Building in New Bedford. The cost is $35 or $29 if you're a member of South Coast Learning. Uh, there'll also be another session in Providence on May 9th from 7 to 9 p.m., as well, and if uh, you were originally going to the May 8th class, just be aware that that's been rescheduled to May 9th. And also another one, Keith, coming up, April 25th at the Sandwich Community School. Yes, indeed. So you guys are getting all around here. Yes, yes, we are. We're pretty busy, pretty busy. You would you would think it would be around uh, October, but actually we're busy in the spring as much, almost as much as we are in October. Well, what's good about that, though, is in October there's so many other things that try to pull people's attention that have an interest in the subject matter. So, you know, at this time of year there's not as much going on, so people will be more likely to come out to the class and they can, you know, they can spend a little bit more time talking with you afterward and everybody's not trying to rush to get to the next event or to the next speaker like they would at a conference. That's absolutely true. Yeah. And, of course, you welcome people to bring their evidence to the classes as well for the group to review and discuss. Yes, yes, we do. We do 
evidence analysis as part of the class. Near the end of the class, if anybody brings anything, we'll share it with the rest of the class and get everybody's opinion and give our opinion as well. You know, whether it's a bunch of dust orbs or a full-bodied apparition, and usually it's something in between, but uh, we try to cover all bases. And, and you bring in a number of items of your own evidence as well, video and EVP recordings. Oh, yes. Yep, definitely. And is there uh, – do you find sometimes, like, people bring in evidence that is so good, you say to them, hey, do you mind if, you know, we incorporate that into the presentation as well? Once in a while. Usually it will be, like, uh, in a story, story form. They'll have a great story. But sometimes they bring in some photographic stuff that's really, you know, bizarre and can't be explained. You know, and uh, we like to be able to explain it, but uh, – I guess, fortunately, not everything can be readily explained, and that's why we call it paranormal and the unknown. Now, I know you've been doing the classes uh, in New Bedford and Providence for quite a while, and if if anybody wants to sign up for those classes, you can go to scslearn.org. I'm sorry, learnconnect.com to sign up for the Providence and New Bedford classes, but the scslearn.org website is where you can sign up for the sandwich class. Is this your first time teaching a class in sandwich? Yes, it is. Yep. So we're looking forward to it. It'll be a new experience. Have you been there? Have you done investigations out there? Or? No, no. We've been around the area, but not in Sandwich itself. So we're we're looking forward to that. And uh, I think every place has its own paranormal phenomena going on, its own haunted places. So we're, we're looking forward to that. Sometimes the buildings we give the classes in or the lectures turn out to be uh, haunted as well or <laughs> have paranormal activity in them. So. Uh, well, I um. I actually lived in Sandwich for a number of years when I was younger, uh-huh. and to me, it always had this just heavy feeling to it. I mean, being, I was probably like 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, I mean, I was scared to go out at night sometimes because it just had this feeling. You mean the whole community? The, just I, I lived in, in East Sandwich, uh, and it seemed to just have this, I don't know, it just, I felt if any place was haunted, it was this whole area of Sandwich. I mean. Right on the border of Sagamore? I was more toward, uh, uh, when I was in East Sandwich, I was almost more toward Mashpee. Okay. I was like right off exit four, uh, and near, but I was near Lawrence Pond, so it was the woods and the pond and everything kind of combining for these, these factors. But, I mean, I started looking into a little bit of the ghost history when I lived there, you know, just going into the library and seeing what I could find and everything. That library in town. Uh, has a long history of stories that I've heard from people, you know, other people in my class and people I've talked to since. Uh, there's the glass factory there. There's a heritage plantation. There's so many locations there that have the potential for being haunted that I'm sure you're going to get some great firsthand stories from the people that take the class there. Wow. Well, I look forward to that. Then maybe you can stop by and give us a tour afterwards of the I, whole community. I'd, I'd absolutely love to. Now, you're doing it at the Sandwich Community School. Yes. Which I believe is the former Henry T. Wing School. Uh, and that is kind of a butts, like right the downtown historic area where a lot of these locations are. Oh, so so do you know the history of the school itself at all? Uh, I don't know that deep of the history of it. I could find out for you, but um, I know that I went there for about three or four months before they moved us to one of the newer schools. And uh, it's just uh, it's one of those federal style buildings, you know, probably built in the 1940s. But yep. it's it's a large, spacious tract of land, and there's it's part of this eerie downtown area i mean there's the the hoxie house right across the street and the mill and the town hall everything's right there and you'll just be able to feel it when you get out of the car and you go to walk into the building you'll be able to feel it in the air mm-hmm. wow I, well i look forward to that we'll certainly be using our equipment that night and, and who knows maybe we can uh, poke into the library or some of those other places 
well, you know, every once in a while, and you, I'm sure you know this from experience too, and Matt Moniz will undoubtedly agree with me that uh, sometimes when you're giving a class or a lecture, something does happen. I don't know, sometimes it could be the law of recognition or simply the um, psychological element that you're dealing with something that's a known, the paranormal. Sometimes something unusual will happen right during the class to one of the members of the class that, that was unexpected. The like that? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Just <laughs> illustrating the point, Keith. That's right. <laughs> the collective unconscious, you know, yeah. uh, rearing its ugly head type of thing. Oh, yeah, I, I agree, Keith. Or is it everybody all turning to the same channel and, you know, is it because they're all focused on that one one area that something manifests itself because they're all looking? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, could it also be, though, Keith, the idea like along the lines of a tulpa where, you know, everybody is talking about it and therefore they kind of create their own activity? Yeah. In fact, that's uh, one of the, the um, things we speak on. And uh, so that that's very possible, too. You know, you're all familiar with the Philip experiment. Mm-hmm. And uh, my brother Carl's very knowledgeable about that. You know, it took place in, uh, I believe it was Toronto, Canada in uh, 1969-1970 where they actually created their own entity, Philip of Warwick, who uh, they gave him a dastardly history and very sorrowful, you know, somebody that would have reason to be restless in the afterlife, but of course he himself never existed. It was just a created entity, but lo and behold, Philip responded through the use of a Ouija board and actually had some pretty intelligent conversations. But the unfortunate part of that is once you create these entities, they don't just go away when you're done with them. This is true. This is true. You know, there's theories whether they've been created like a tulpa, like an uh, unconscious um, entity, you know, through the uh, mega conscience, or uh, was it something that simply because you're out there pooling for something, it took the bait, took the recognition, and came in. And sometimes it's it's not as easy to close the door. You know, I've known people that have done that, and their personal experience is uh, something they never want to repeat. Hmm. I mean, how fine of a line is it, though, when you get into that situation where you're trying to, to create something and, and yourself working uh, in the demonic realm as well? I mean, are you opening the door for that as well? I mean, could, could you just as easily draw in something demonic as you could, you know, create something that's... Uh, a supposed spiritual entity? Well, uh, my personal belief is yes. Yes, you absolutely could. I believe you're opening up a door. You're actually surrendering some of your psyche, your motor control. You're opening it up to uh, something that's, you know, some kind of unseen entity. Yeah, if uh, suppose there's a portal nearby and something comes in and, and uh, takes the bait, takes the invitation, then you've got something that, uh, like you said, you might not be able to get rid of as easily as you brought it in. You got to close these doors and everything. So, yeah, I believe absolutely that is uh, that is possible. And so, of course, that's also the same fine line people walk when they're trying to communicate with spirits in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you don't know exactly what's going to respond or or what's just sitting out there waiting for you. Yes. Uh, do you find that in a lot of these cases that you've investigated uh, on the demonic side of things that are, are there a number of cases where people have kind of asked for it by you know? looking into things they shouldn't or or trying to communicate with things and this is what happened more so than just the average expected you know i was just sitting at home watching tv and all of a sudden i was possessed by a demon right you know well that's that's very rare that uh 
happen while you're sitting watching TV, usually it's very, very progressive, and, mm -hmm. unless somebody is extremely, extremely sensitive or you happen to be one of the lucky fellows that you move into an apartment that's uh, fully infested already. But, uh, you know, but it, that is, of course, a very, very rare situation. But Unless your name's Kristen Gartland. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, she, I think she brings some of them with her now at yeah, this point. Well, I mean, every she is actually um, what's termed what we term a ghost magnet, you know, and that's just a loose term. It's actually more like a spirit magnet. But uh, she just happens to, wherever she moves, and uh, she, she attracts spirits to her, but also some of the places she ha has moved have paranormal activity going on for whatever reason, which she didn't know about when she moved in. Like when we first were called in to investigate her apartment uh, back, you know, in uh, 2001, the, uh, it so happened that her apartment was actually built over cemetery grounds. The cemetery where she lived was moved back so the front part of her apartment which her apartment was on actually rested on the original cemetery grounds then of course a couple of years later she moves the next place she moves well her backyard is filled with landfill that's made from crushed up cemetery stones so I mean she just you know then again is it the law of attraction or what you know she moves into these places and it, it turns out these history that she didn't know about in the first place so and well, then everybody comes out to meet her it can't possibly be her shy introverted nature that drives no, her. I, don't, <laughs> I don't think so she's she's really not the timid sort you know, but, uh, well, actually i am working on a book and that's one of the chapters it's called ghost magnet and and uh, i'm sure uh, she'll be happy to give you a nice lengthy interview for that Oh, yes. She's had more than enough experiences. Yes. Actually, she already has given me a lengthy interview, so uh, it's based on uh, my personal experience investigating her locations as well. So, Well, just just to warn you, Keith, we are up against the news with our, our crazy time situation here oh, yes. going on after the Celtics, but uh, we'll definitely uh, come back into things with you after the news break. Sure. But, uh, one thing that we do want to mention uh, before we go into the news is Ghosts Are Near. Uh, it's a it's a great show. It's uh, airs on Cox Cable in Rhode Island. But if you don't live in Rhode Island and you can't watch it, or if you just want to watch it any time, you can see the archives on the Near Paranormal website. And uh, you had our friend Chris Balzano on recently. Oh yeah, that was a great show. It was. I mean, I was watching it and I was like, you know what's the best part about that show? It's, I think it's the first time I've seen Chris without a hat on. <laughs> That's right. He went oh natural. And, and I'm I'm sure he wishes that he hadn't, but. <laughs> No, that, that was a really, really cool interview. That, that was um, very informative, and it was funny. It was interesting, you know, especially when we're talking about the zombies, the zombies out in the dark woods of Massachusetts. And, and he always says, everybody wants to talk about the puckwudgies. Nobody wants to talk about the zombies. But right. you guys you guys talked about the zombies. I was, I was glad to hear a little bit more about them. Yeah, we talked about both. All right, well, we are coming up on the news. Uh, we'll take a, a short break. A couple of spots that we have left to run, and then we'll uh, go into the ABC News. When we come back on the other side, we'll talk more with Keith Johnson, and we'll take your calls at 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. We can talk about all things paranormal with Keith because he is an encyclopedia of knowledge, and, and he can help you get to any of the answers. And, of course, you can, if you have a need for an investigation, you can also get in touch with us as well. So we'll be right back with more in just a bit here on Spooky South Coast. Spooky South Coast is burned. I see you shiver with anticipation. Well, we're waiting. Patience. 
Welcome to our number two here of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt of New England Anomalies Research. And he'll be teaching a class uh, here in the city of New Bedford that will be coming up this Thursday, March 13th, uh, from 7 to 9 p.m. at the South Coast Learning Building uh, in downtown New Bedford. Easy parking right on the Elm Street Garage. You can walk across the street. Uh, and then also 7 to 9 p.m. on May 9th in Providence, and uh, also April 25th at the Sandwich Community School. If you want to sign up for any of these events, you can go to learnconnect.com or scslearn.org, and we'll put links up on spookysouthcoast.com as well. You cut out my headphones, Monies. Sorry. Stop playing with that box. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's a different show. But uh, <laughs> let's get back into the discussion with Keith. Uh, now, Keith, one question that I had for you. Uh, sure. As I was sitting and listening to John Zaffis's presentation uh, with Capers at, at Cape Cod Community College mm-hmm. last week, and he's talking about you know, a lot of the research that he's done and that you know, people such as yourself has done in the paranormal field and especially the demonology field. Uh, at what point did you know, people start working together on a lot of this stuff? Because... If you go back and you read, you know, I'm I'm a young guy, so I can only read about what went on in like the 60s, the 70s, as this stuff was starting to come into, you know, more of, of a mainstream angle. Uh, but at what point did people really stop, you know, their own individual research and start baiting together, you know, community-wise? Is this something that was always the case? Because, you know, Matt Moniz will tell us that in science, you know, there's there's people that are of both mindsets, people that want to work together, and there'll be people that will hoard their own evidence. Uh, did you find pretty much from when you got involved that it was this communal aspect to it? You know, not really. I mean, I've belonged to a number of groups along the years, but, uh, of course, John and I go back quite a few years. You know, we go back decades because of our, you know, mutual connection with his aunt and uncle, Ed and Lorraine Warren. But um, it was only, I think, with the uh, when the Internet got, got into vogue, probably like the uh, mid, early to mid-90s, uh, that, that's when it started really taking off and people began networking with each other all across the country. I think that's when you got this uh, community um, attitude where uh, people sharing their knowledge and information and working together, and that's when I think it really took off. So then what happened then when that, when that did take place? Was it kind of like a, oh, my God, I got the same kind of results too. You got that too? Yeah. I mean, yeah. So there was just a big explosion of that, like when the yeah. Internet took over? Yeah, and now it's like, of course, worldwide. I mean, for example... Uh, I was invited to be at a haunted location this weekend in uh, South Australia. You know? Wow. And, in fact, I, if I, of course, unfortunately, I wasn't able to attend, but uh, if I had attended, you know, takes place on Sunday, and over there in South Australia, it is Sunday now, uh, I would be doing the show from there at the uh, old Adelaide Jail in 
Adelaide, South Australia. Wow. Very, very haunted location. Now, were they were they willing to foot the bill to fly you out there, or was that on your own dime? Well, we didn't really discuss that because it didn't get that far. But, uh, I mean, I guess I could have uh, taken a paddle boat there. It would have taken me a few weeks. But, um, you know, but uh, you know, it's a really, really cool place, the old Adelaide Jail. It's um, opened in 1841, and uh, there have been like 45 hangings there. One of them was a woman who was hanged in uh, 1873, and modern forensics have proven that she was most probably innocent. And so her uh, apparition has been seen at the jail, and uh, they have a, an apparition that they see that's called Beanie Man, because it's somebody walking around wearing a beanie. And, uh, you know, so. I well, think I, I have one of Beanie Man CDs. <laughs> so it's like a rap artist, I think. Yeah, it sounds like it. Sounds like it, you know. But I could have been doing the show from there, but. Um, they're having a big celebration because it's the 20th anniversary of its closing. It's a real cool place. And uh, my friends, the uh, paranormal field investigators, are running that. And um, they invited me there, but uh, someday I'll get there. See, now, that wouldn't have worked anyway because the first thing I would have made you do when you got on the phone was run into the bathroom and flush the toilet so I could hear it going the other direction. Oh, yeah, right, exactly. I've right. often thought of that. Once we got that out of the way, we could proceed with the interview. But Yeah, right. I, I mean... Fun with the Fibonacci story. A lot of these uh, conferences and events that are put together, uh, what a lot of people, uh, the reason why I asked about, you know, whether or not you had to get yourself there is, you know, people will say, you know, to somebody such as yourself, hey, I'll pay you X amount of dollars to come and be part of this conference. And, you know, and I'll give you a room in this hotel and everything. But what they're not taking into account is that, you know, you're not making any money at this. So it's not like you can just foot the bill like Matt Moniz can to fly all over the country and go to these conferences. Wherever he goes, Pretty uh, not really. <laughs> Pretty much, it's usually there's a body rolled up in the middle of it, and they say, "Here, yeah, put right. this in the trunk of your car." <laughs> yeah, and he's he's sprinkling uh, samples uh, soil wherever he goes, so uh, that's they, it. They, they kind of let him in, you know. So. But it, there does seem to be uh, a huge number of these events popping up all over the place. I know that you're involved with the uh, CERT Para Conference that's coming up in April. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, this is true. And and that's going to be that's on Cape Cod as well, right? Yeah, yeah. The old Colonial Inn, and uh, that's uh, that's known as a haunted establishment, and that's why it's taking place there. And of course, they'll be investigating uh, going on the conference, and then investigating. So you may get to see something there as well. It, it's just there's there's so many places that have this history, and everyone is able to to utilize that history, you know, to draw people in. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later on, Matt Moniz, you and I, the self-promoting bastards that we are. Uh, the other one that I'm interested in is, you know, the Topticon. Is, of course, you know, yeah. he's going to yeah. be there. Mm-hmm. That that place really looks interesting to me, mm-hmm. that particular hotel. Two miles of hallway yeah. in the place. Oh, that's just, that's terrible for the, uh, for the housekeeping services. Yeah. We find hotels are generally... You know, there's some, at least some residual activity going on there anyway, because so many people come and go. They, we really do find, even if we're not intentionally investigated, all I have to do is turn on my recorder and sometimes we'll pick things up. Not just me, but a lot of people have had that experience. The, uh, I just, I'm lambasting Moniz here because his microphone, his new microphone is super sensitive. Oh, He's yeah. used to being able to hang out in the, in the corner and just, you know, only speak when he needs to and just do whatever he wants the rest of the time. But I guess it must be like a digital mic or something. This, this thing, I don't know, it's gold, Keith. So, oh, you know, you've been here in the spooky studio. You know that, uh, you know, new equipment doesn't come around quite often around here. Right, but, uh, 
Now that you got some new equipment, well, you got to take good care of it. Yeah, or else uh, the engineer will have Matt's head. <laughs> yeah. Now, when you get to go to these haunted locations, though, it's it's kind of like a bonus because you might not have gone to these locations otherwise if there wasn't a conference or, or something happening there. You know, it's just not all of us would fly down to Florida to investigate this hotel or go out to Volcano, California, or wherever else these events are happening uh, just because, you know, funds and uh, there's plenty to handle in our own area. Right. So it, it gives you kind of a unique perspective, and you can start to see the same type of phenomena happening in so oh, many yeah. different locations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is, definitely. It, it, what is probably the biggest theme that you see running through, you know, a lot of these haunted locations? Is it is it a high level of residuals? Is it you know a high level of intelligent hauntings trying to make contact with people? What seems to be more the the permeating aspect of it all? Well, it's more like a kind of peekaboo thing. It's more like you'll get a little bit and then it'll, then it'll uh, kind of shy away. It's, um, I'd like to say that there's a large percentage of intelligent hauntings, but it, you really, you don't get that much, um, you know, you get some quick, brief EVPs and it's answering questions, so in that sense you could call it intelligent. But usually it's in, uh, you know, anybody like Matt and I know very well, most EVPs we deal with are very brief sentences or one or two words. So if they answer a question, that's a good chance that it's uh, an intelligent haunt. But um, usually it's, it's very, very much uh, in the background, and, and uh, it's not going to jump out at you. But uh, when you're least expecting it, you may get something. So in that sense, it's worth it. If you have any questions for Keith Johnson, founder of New England Anomalies Research, you can give us a call at 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. When I went on the website earlier today, Keith, there were still some spots open for that class, but I know it's going to fill up soon. Yes, it usually so, does fill up pretty pretty quickly. And, and it's always a packed house every time you guys come to New Bedford. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there... What are some of the stories that you hear coming out of the people that take the class here? Uh, are you hearing a lot of these, you know, we talk about them here on the show, some of these old world style hauntings, uh, ghosts that came over with immigrants, you know, back in the 1800s and the early 1900s. Uh, do you hear a lot of stuff that's related to the Bridgewater Triangle area? Well, usually I mentioned the Bridgewater Triangle. It's usually it's new to a lot of people. They're not aware of it. And um, But uh, once in a while you do get somebody who's had an experience in that area and uh, you do get the people with the story of generational hauntings and everything most of the time it's though that they moved into some place ever since they moved in there something's been happening and they just can't explain it or at one time they did live in some place where it's just something couldn't be explained and sometimes it seems to have followed them and uh, so you get a wide variety of experiences that people have had and we always encourage them to share their stories and as you said, bring their evidence with them if they have any. And uh, so really it winds up being a very much of a uh, class participation. Well, I think people are starting to get a lot more open to the idea of it around here. I mean, this was uh, – you know how it is in Massachusetts with our Puritan ethic up here. Oh, yeah. You know, you guys are a lot more spiritually enlightened down in Rhode Island. <laughs> but uh, – <laughs> well, thanks to guys <laughs> like Roger Williams, you know. Right, but, yeah. But uh, – and, and you got, you're actually a descendant of Roger Williams, aren't you? Yes, yeah, along with about uh, 250,000 other people. <laughs> yes, yeah, actually, actually, uh, I am. You know, through marriage, we are related to uh, Roger Williams as well as to H.P. Lovecraft, too. 
and and we'll talk more about Lovecraft a little bit later on. But I mean, at least you understand the you know the idea of how stuffy us Puritans are up here, and it seems like a lot of that attitude is is finally starting to melt away. I mean, right. Chris Balzano talks about it all the time running the Mass Crossroads site of, you know. You just see the change in people's attitudes from being like, you're going to think I'm crazy or yeah. I don't usually, usually talk about this stuff to, oh, I, I have a great story to tell you. Yeah. And, and well, people are opening up more. Yeah, you had the witch persecutions there. We had the uh, vampire legends here. So, you know. Uh, we all have our uh, black marks on history, I guess. Yes, I guess we do. You know, Incidentally, uh, you know, the uh, lovely Lisa Dualabi mm-hmm. and uh, her husband Ray and uh, Tom D'Agostino and I were – we're kind of doing a, putting together a a documentary on the history of vampirism in New England, you know, and how, how it was dealt with. So that you know, that's a subject that's always close to my heart. Well, and didn't you recently have uh, Dr. Bell on Ghost in Here yes, too? Yes, he was a guest, very interesting guest. Yep. yep. And and that's uh, I mean, he's not making a lot of uh, appearances, uh, so you know, to, to be able to get him on your show is great. Right, right. We're very fortunate to have him on, and he had a good time. You know, you, you know how much fun our show is, anyway. Oh, sure. Having been guests yourselves, and oh, uh, we loved it. And camera crew. Oh yes, and camera crew. <laughs> All right, <laughs> guest and camera crew sometimes at the same time. I'll have to come down and do camera sometime. I'm a little bit more comfortable behind the camera than I am in front of it. But sure, you know, you're all welcome anytime. And I, I even know how to use the little swivel handles and everything from my time working in, in television as well. I, I, I just recently found Matt Moniz, just so, so I can make you aware of this. I'll tell the audience too. I recently acquired a VHS tape of my first television show uh, that I used to host for Wareham Cable Access called TV Trivia, and Matt and I are going to get it up onto... I actually remember that show. We're going to get it up onto Google Video and we'll put it up there so people can download it. I'm amazed at the fact that I even had two chins back then, too. <laughs> it's, uh, it's strange. Alright, well, we have a call for you, Keith, here. Okay, great. Good evening, you're on Spooky South Coast. How you doing? Hey, guys. How are you? Oh, I knew it couldn't be Keith calling in to disguise his own voice. <laughs> How are you? It, it, we're spooktacular. How are you, Luann? Oh, I guess I'm pretty spooktacular myself. <laughs> you've had a number of investigations going on yourself as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. Things are picking up for Whaling City Ghosts, for sure. They sure are. It's been very busy lately. Quite yeah, a few you... cases going on. Oh, what is going on with you guys tonight? It keeps squawking. Well, it's pretty... It's pretty uh, severe weather out there, too. Yeah, it's probably just weather warm. interference. Yeah. Uh, i got to expect the... that, you know, in the windy, whaley city. But uh, anyway, Luann, you have some pretty impressive uh, pictures up on your site, too. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's, that's my little friend. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I get some pictures. You've got some pictures of the Borden household, too. You yep. guys were all there together. And uh, it's a, an interesting night there that night. But, um Matt being, his legs being picked up, his ankles being picked up, and uh, the uh, little camera glitch that you couldn't explain when the camera was moved suddenly and uh, by itself seemingly, and uh, you guys had a wonderful time there that night, didn't you? Yeah, we usually do have a pretty good time when we go over there. Yeah. Um, it sounds like it's actually picking up. The more, the more I hear, it seems like there's just more and more activity over there. Yeah, the more people go there and investigate, more it seems to uh, be added to it. You know? Well, there's there's about to become a whole bunch more attention paid to it <laughs> in the coming months, and we can't really say that much about it, but uh, we can tell you uh, that the History Channel was there uh, a couple of weeks ago filming an episode of Monster Quest regarding the Lizzie Borden ghosts and 
Uh, Matt Moniz and I had a chance to take part of it, and some of the evidence that Whaling City Ghost captured with us that night is going to be part of the program. So it'll be nice because they, they are going to give credit to both of us. Yeah, I'm actually really excited about that. And and hopefully, uh, you know, that'll lead to more people wanting to go there and check out the hauntings and more evidence for people to share. And, you know, maybe we can – well, I don't think we're going to ever figure out what the crimes were. I mean, I've been hearing a number of reports the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess if you believe in fate or, you know, getting messages from beyond or something, I don't know what you want to put in the category of, but I've been hearing from a lot of different people over the last couple of weeks about Lizzie's confession to her lawyers. Hmm. So I, I, I just it's kind of in the front of my mind that I think something's going to break in that regard sooner or later. So in other really? words, they they made a deal, huh? Yeah, she she kind of told them that she did it, and you know, as as usually what happens in a murder case, you know, they'll they'll tell their defense that yeah, I did do it, but I don't want to go to jail. Mm-hmm. And then it's up to the defense lawyer if they want to keep the case or not. And I think that's what the situation was here. So maybe something will be breaking on that, but. The more people that get out there and investigate, the more people that check things out there, um, I think that we can start putting it all together and at least get little pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. You yeah, know, recently I saw something about Lizzie Borden's that uh, I, I thought was really interesting, and it makes me wonder if, um, if uh, there was, like, money that passed hands because of that. There is, like, this mysterious... Um, illegitimate son of Mr. Borden, supposedly, or yeah. William un- Borden. Un- unproven. Yeah, yeah. Unproven. that is one theory. <clears throat> Interesting theory. Interesting theory. Yeah. Of course, it's a possibility. Like Tim was saying, we'll, we'll never know for sure. Not unless Lizzie admits to it. Right. And, you know, I'll always hope that she'll give me some more EVPs. I, I really, I do think that, that that, you know, I'm a good daughter. EVP was actually Lizzie. Well, uh, one of the interesting things about that EVP, actually, and I, I guess we can give away a little bit of it. Hi to those people that walk by, by the way. I don't know if they're playing the station outside, but uh, one of the things that uh, is interesting about that, and we'll mention it, but they're actually going to take that EVP, Luann, and compare it with another supposed voice of Lizzie Boyd and EVP that they acquired as well. That's really going to be so interesting. You'll get like a side-by-side comparison of the two. And, and of course, anytime we get any future... Uh, EVPs from there, and it's you know it sounds remotely like that. We can try to sync them up and, and see if anything happens. If 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 they sound like the same voice, it, I mean we can't really say that that means that it's Lizzie. It could be, you know, the same spirit each time. It could be something disguising its voice. It could you know. be Emma. Could be Maggie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some spirits, of course, are master imitators. And I mean, it could be something like that. But I mean, at least if we can start correlating the evidence and. And saying, look, you know, there definitely is something going on here. I find it extremely interesting that they're going to do that. I'm surprised they weren't interested in the Inhumans there. Uh, we kind of didn't talk about that. Really? Yeah, we, um, it, the, the subject came up and it was something that we didn't really get into because uh, uh, we, we can't really prove too much on that end of things yet. So we just talked about the evidence that we had and, and how it relates to what's going on there. Well, it is very controversial, too. Um, a lot of people don't even believe that there are inhuman spirits. I don't think Keith would agree with that. <laughs> no, I, I, I certainly agree either. that there are, but a lot of people, I mean, that, that like Luanne was saying, that's a whole different ball game, and, and it is very, very uh, intense and everything like that, and that actually adds a whole different dimension to it, you know, when you start getting into 
inhuman spirits and everything. So a lot of people, they, they can stick with Lizzie, but uh, once it goes beyond that, it starts getting a little too, wow, 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 you know. Well, I mean, part of it, too, is... Uh, People will go and stay in a haunted house if they think it's the ghost of Lizzie Borden there. But if you tell them, hey, I'm pretty sure there's an inhuman spirit haunting this, they'll say, eh, I don't think I really want to stay there. Right. Or so they'll laugh, <laughs> think you're crazy. Isn't Lizzie scary enough? Well, yeah, just the idea of that's enough for me. I, if that was Mr. Borden that pushed me around that room, that was uh, that was good enough for me. Yeah. Yeah, see, I, I don't really think that's Mr. Borden. I actually feel as if I owe Mr. Borden an apology. You know, I said some things to miss the board and thinking that he was doing a lot of that activity and I I really can't say I believe it's Mr. the board anymore. Well, I, I guess uh, it's, it's possible that uh, if he is there and, and his spirit is there and he knows what's going on, he'll understand. Yeah. I hope so. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. The uh, the news line is ringing and I think I might know who that is. So. <laughs> we, uh, we, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Okay, great. You Thanks. guys have a great night and good speaking with you again, Keith. Keep Take up care, the great Wayne. work. I, I really respect the work you do. Oh, thank you so much. Great Appreciate person. That. He's always there for people in need. You're wonderful. <laughs> right, well, have a great me. night, guys. Bye-bye. Good night. Night. And that, I don't know who this guy could be calling in on this, this special line here, so let's go right to it, Keith. All right. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How you doing? Yes. Call for Mr. Johnson, the demonologist. Where is his brother? His brother's out shopping right now. I'm just kidding. This is I know his brother. That. Of course, we know who it is. This is Carl. Hello there, Carl Johnson. This this might be more Johnson than you can handle, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Matt. Hello, Tim. What's up? How's it guys? going? Right, not too bad. I'm sorry I'm calling uh, as late as I am. I did have some errands, and then I got stuck on the phone. Uh, but, no uh, problem. I'll okay. give it a shot. See We've been if, yucking know, it up ourselves. So. The Celtics game kept you uh, on a little later. Yeah, it totally screwed us all up. Between that and daylight <laughs> savings, we don't know what's going on. Yeah, but I was listening to an interesting chat about the, the ghost of Andrew Borden. Maybe it's the uh, Lizzie Borden homestead. Now, it, when I was there, I didn't experience anything firsthand except for, well, I did hear some... Uh, thumpings in the wall, and uh, got some impressions, but nothing too concrete. And Matt has had more experience there than I have. Well, anytime you want to go back there, Carl, let me know. Like I said, I got the key, and uh, I'll find out from Leanne when it's on a slow night, and uh, that's usually when you can get the best activity, believe it or mm. not. Yeah, I would enjoy it. Well, at least I got to see in the New Year there. Uh, you know, we spent New Year's Eve at the Lizzie Borden Homestead. I was there December 30th through January 1st, and that was, that was for me, that was a very good way to spend New Year's Eve. I, I enjoyed having you down there. Thank you. I enjoyed seeing you there. We don't get to investigate uh, together too often. Well, that's because if you did, the ghosts would just run and hide. Yeah. <laughs> but it, my shadow. As Carl will tell you, uh, you know, our grandfather lived in Fall River at the time of the murders. I mean, he was a young child at the time, but, uh, you know, he was right... Uh, right within a mile radius of it. And our family is buried right next to the Bordens. You see you see the Bordens, and then you see the Greens, and the Places, and the Darlings. Um, they're, they're all our family. So you're, in, you're intimately twined with the, the story of the Bordens. Yeah, our dust literally mingles. <laughs> well, yes, 
we we were there uh, probably shortly after you were there with Matt Carl, and and we had like a similar thing, where no real overt activity was going on when we were there with Jeff Belanger and Chris Balzano, but we were getting voices in other parts of the house. If we were down in the basement, we'd hear a baby crying on the first floor, and if we were on the first floor, we'd hear a woman singing on the second floor. So it's there's always a little something there to let you know that right. so, there's something going on. And if you notice, which is a characteristic of paranormal activity, often it sounds very mundane. Yet it's almost so you wouldn't pick up on it right away till you realize there shouldn't be other people in this house. Mm-hmm. And, but they shouldn't sound like that. It just sounds like somebody's like somebody's singing in the next room or downstairs. Or isn't that a isn't that a chorus or a choir? And you realize that should not be there. It's an anomaly. And it just sounds so mundane at first, so normal seeming. I mean, and we made sure when we went in, we locked the doors behind us so nobody could get in. Because, you know, we're responsible for the place. We're the only ones in there. We don't want anything to go wrong. Uh, you're the caretaker custodian for the yeah. night. So if anything happens, it's our asses. So we make sure that there's nobody sneaking in and there's nobody hiding out on the second floor. And right. You're, you take extra precautions. Yeah, we each... Uh, conducted under very controlled conditions. Yeah, we each had our own little experiences throughout that night there. and uh, But we all collectively had one experience when we were all in the basement. Every single one of us that were there, Jeff Belanger, as well as um, Chris and Tim, we all heard what sounded like people opening up the back door, walking into the kitchen and talking. It sounded like kids. I mean, we all stopped our conversation when charging up the stairs because, like I said, we've, we've, we, just stuck, got, yeah. we've got, we locked the door or something and expected people, you know, just to be accidentally walking in. We all get up there and there's nobody there and the door's locked. I mean, what do you think? Do you think we're catching pieces of residual energy, or do you think what it is is that, you know, it's just messing with us? Well, probably a little bit of I think, the, uh, I think these um, interdimensional planes, if you will, I think they're in constant motion. And every once in a while they bisect, and that's when you get the activity. That's when it manifests. But also, I, th- I think after a while, these entities, these presences, which have been so rooted in the house for decades and decades, uh, become aware of, of other people being there, and they might consider you intruders. And they say, well, uh, let's, they've been here a while. Let's have some fun with them. I, I think there's some cognizance. like the intention, too. I think there is some intention and some cognizance on the part of these entities. You know, they may not think as, as humans do, as living people do, but I, th- I think they're a little mischievous at times. So I would agree with him that sometimes they, they will start to tease. Or could it be that they become comfortable with you and have no problem appearing or doing stuff, knowing that, well, you're there all the time, so I'm just going to continue what I normally do? Well, Matt, that could be, too, because just like uh, household pets, at first will be shy with a newcomer, and after a while they get a little used to you. And I think the spirit entities, after a while, will uh, will be more sensitive to your vibrations, your aura. It's hard to put this in clinical terminology, but they'll get more used to your presence, our presence as living beings, and and, uh, they'll say, okay, this this one seems pretty sensitive, and oh, they noticed us when we made that noise in the wall. Let's let's do some more. I almost wonder if it's kind of the opposite type of situation, though, where, in your experience of, of, of going into haunted locations, do you find that when you go in there, there's a lot of activity happening right away, or is it something that starts happening after you've been in there for a little while? Uh, the secondary explanation is usually after we've been there a while. There have been cases where we'll walk in and right away, you know, something drops in the next room. Nobody can explain it. Well, there's the thumping in the wall, the yeah, bangings, my- the wrappings. 
But generally, yeah, it's after you've been there a good hour or so that uh, it starts to seep out. And, yeah, it starts to evince itself, whatever presence. Yeah. My, my personal experience is that uh, things have been going on, they've been going on, and, and uh, I walk in, everything stops. <laughs> yeah, well, they, oh, yeah. And so I think it's a little different with Matt. I think Matt walks into a room and things start, at least in a couple of instances. Well, like you referring to the turkey leg appearing on the table at Tom D'Agostino's house? Yeah, I was thinking of that and uh, <laughs> some things that were happening in December in the Lizzie Borden household. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the turkey leg, yeah. I think that had a little something to do with you. And it seems so innocuous, a turkey leg appearing, but, uh, and of course, I was joking with Tom D'Agostino. You're like, well, I mean, the thing is, Tom, are you going to eat the turkey leg? I mean, he was going to. That was the whole point. It's evidence. You know, uh, it's evidence. Well, the reason why I asked that was because I wonder, almost if instead of it's a matter of uh, the spirits fine-tuning themselves to you, it's a matter of you're getting fine-tuned into the spirits. Once you've been there and you've become acclimated to the surroundings, and then you can kind of tune yourself and your frequencies into what's going on there. It's probably a good way to refer to it as, as tuning in. Uh, in a sense, the spirit presence has become more relaxed with the people who have come in. We become a little more relaxed. You know, it's like, I wonder if anything's going to happen, and then it starts to. You know, I think when you initially go in with that sense of apprehension and also anticipation, hoping some activity is going to manifest, I think that can splodge it, that can block it somewhat. But once you're a little re relaxed, you've been walking through the rooms for an hour, uh, then it starts to come out, then it starts to apparent itself. And I think Keith has noticed that, too. As he mentioned, sometimes he seems to block it out, and then... Uh, as I've noticed with uh, Keith and Sandra's investigations, some of which I haven't participated in, they uh, tend to get their activity, and their EVPs especially, are recorded towards the end of the investigation, the last hour, the, or maybe even the last half hour. That's, that's when the voices start to come and uh, imprint themselves in the audio recordings. All right, well, why don't we take a break here? Uh, we have to pay some bills. When we come back, we want to talk to you a little bit about H.P. Lovecraft and the event that you have coming up. That. All right. Thank you. All right, we'll be right back with Carl Johnson, and we'll try and get Keith back on the line with more here on Spooky South Coast. Don't look now, but Spooky South Coast is creeping up behind you right after this. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. Only instead of the Adams family tonight, we have the Johnson family. The twin demonologists, Keith and Carl Johnson of New England Anomalies Research, are with us on the phone line. They are going to be teaching a class at South Coast Learning in New Bedford this Thursday night from 7 to 9 p.m. There are still a few spots available. If you go to uh, learnconnect.com, you can sign up. Cost is $35 for non-members, $29 for members of South Coast Learning. Uh, also, the class will be repeated again May 9th in Providence from 7 to 9 p.m., and also at the Sandwich Community School on April 25th as well. So, And you can sign up for the Sandwich one at scslearn.org. So uh, definitely check those out. We'll put links on SpookySouthCoast.com as well uh, to make it easy for you. And, Carl, one thing we want to talk to you about is this event that's coming up uh, at the end of this month uh, on March 30th at 3 p.m. at the... Uh, I'm sorry, at the Ladd Observatory on 210 Doyle Ave in Providence. That and is this, correct, is, yeah. this is your yearly tribute to H.P. Lovecraft called Lovecraft Rising? Pre 
Precisely, yes. Uh, it has a different title every year according to the theme. Okay. But, yes, this year it is known as Lovecraft Rising. And you've got the specs correct. Uh, Sunday, March 30th at uh, Ladd Observatory. It's on the corner of Hope Street in the east side of Providence, 210 Doyle Avenue. And it commences at 3 p.m. And, and what type of festivities are planned for this event? Well, the, the central feature will be readings, dramatic readings of uh, select excerpts from the fiction and poetry of H.P. Lovecraft, meaning uh, uh, a succession of readers will stand up and in front of the observatory in the main grounds and recite poetry from Lovecraft uh, or give their own slant on readings from his fiction various stories. It won't be the whole stories, but uh, a page or two excerpted from his works, um, the most horrific parts, and uh, we're going to have people that are, some of them are um, actually uh, long-practiced actors who had a career in theater in the movies and on stage, uh, will be lending their talents to this production. Now, I, know Matt, I know Matt won't be able to join us. Last I heard, he's going to be on the uh, West Coast yeah, that weekend. Yeah, I'm going to be in California. Yeah, otherwise he would be one of our readers. Yes, I would, most yeah. gladly. Thank you. Well, well there will be other occasions, like before the next year. Okay. Um, yes, yeah, so uh, the master of ceremonies will be Christian Henry Tobler. He's the author of uh, several erudite texts on uh, German medieval warfare, and uh, he served as our master of ceremonies before. I've done that. I, I started off by being our master of ceremonies, being the organizer, but I have so many other duties that I... I thought I'd defer that uh, that honor to Christian. It makes it a little easier on me. And when people come out to to these events, I mean, an, an admission is free. So free we and want, open to the public. We want everybody to get out there and and check this out. But when people come out, I mean, uh, is it people who are interested in learning more about Lovecraft as a person? Is it people who aren't necessarily familiar with his work? Because, it, unfortunately, the way that we view, you know writers of horror at that time period, he's kind of taken a backseat a little bit to some of the other names like Edgar Allan Poe. And do you find that people want to learn more about it, or are they just interested in the subject matter more than than who Lovecraft was himself? I think it's it's mostly that uh, most of the people who attend these tribute services, they're literary tributes. I could present them from a podium in a library. It's more entertaining and more memorable if we do it to the at a Lovecraft site, and H.P. Lovecraft did frequent uh, Lad Observatory you know, when he was younger. But uh, generally who we get are people who have heard the name of H.P. Lovecraft. They may have read a story of his, but they want to know more about who is this figure. You know, we hear the name H.P. Lovecraft. I mean, he was the author of Dagon, and they made a movie of that. And they might have read the Dunwich Horror or seen the, the movie version, the TV movie of it. And... Uh, they're curious. It's not usually the people who are immersed in Lovecraft's work. And I myself haven't read every every line that the man wrote, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's generally the people that are rather lightly acquainted with the works and the literary legacy of H.P. Lovecraft, as well as, well as his personal life in Providence. That's uh, that's what people learn about when they come there. You know, who was this man, H.P. Lovecraft, who wrote these scary stories? We hear his names, spooky name, uh, scary stories. Who is the man? What was the genius behind these, but, these terror tales? And that's what they learn there. They hear a, a eulogy about H.P. Lovecraft. It's presented as a eulogy. It's actually uh, encapsulating his life as well as his literary career. So 
yeah, it's, it's people who aren't that, that familiar with Lovecraft, mostly. You do get some scholars. You do get some Lovecraftian scholars there. Uh, I like to count myself as one of them, but there are people who know more about his writings than do I. I'm more familiar with them. And um, you do get a handful of those people. When I say a handful, maybe like a dozen people who are really immersed in Lovecraft studies and have poured over what the author has written and about his uh, biography, delved into his personal life in Providence and New York. Um, generally, people who want to learn more about H.P. Lovecraft. It's kind of a shame, though, because he is the preeminent literary figure of Providence, and he's kind of like what Stephen King is to Maine. That's what Lovecraft is to Providence, and you know, you can find these locations that are in his stories that are still there today, and you can still you can basically take a tour of Providence that's you know related to Lovecraft's work. That's one of the things that's so thrilling about Lovecraft. If one wants to explore his sources of inspiration, you can trace uh, his inspiration, his sights that are mentioned in his stories, especially the, the case of Charles Dexter Ward. And, and all, most of his stories are based on you know, real topography, like if you uh, trace his steps in, uh, in Boston, in New York, Providence particularly, you can find many of the, the places that are named by address, these locations, these houses that Lovecraft refers to in his stories. So that's what Lovecraft is accessible doesn't write so much about imaginary places, mm -hmm. unless they're like many leaks under the uh, surface of the ocean. But as far as uh, terrain, uh, locations, they are mentioned by name and often by address. So you can, you can explore Lovecraft in Providence and Boston and New York. Now, I, I know that you both are, are related to Lovecraft, but I mean, how did you start to get into the man's work? Uh, how did you start to get involved to the point where you wanted to be able to put on some sort of tribute event? When I first became uh, very interested in H.P. Lovecraft, I was not aware that I am actually, uh, Keith and I are blood relations of H.P. Lovecraft, distant cousins, but we are related. Uh, it was uh, in early 1987, and uh, I was thinking of H.P. Lovecraft as working in an art store at the time, and uh, I was making a delivery, and I was thinking, uh, it was in January of that year, and I was thinking, I think... Uh, H.P. Lovecraft died in 1937, which means the 50th anniversary of his passing is coming up, and to my knowledge, nobody's giving any kind of commemoration to, to note the passing of this person 50 years ago. And in the state, in the city in which he was born and lived most of his life. So uh, I did some research. I went to the Providence Public Library to look up biographies of H.P. Lovecraft, and I took out the the most noted biography at that time of H.P. Lovecraft by Elsbreg de Camp. And uh, I poured through that, garnering as much information as I could about Lovecraft, and immediately I found that he was uh, he uh, had died, indeed, on March 15, 1937. And uh, I said, gee, nobody's making any note of this. So I decided to give a brief, hold a brief commemoration, a ceremony, uh, if you will, uh, just to honor H.P. Lovecraft, or remember him, a remembrance of H.P. Lovecraft. And uh, to publicize this, I wrote an article about H.P. Lovecraft, which appeared in Eastside Monthly and the Providence Eagle, which we had in Providence at the time, the periodical. Um, I thought originally that we'd get maybe a dozen horror fiction fans uh, with, you know, bearing books by H.P. Lovecraft standing around his gravesite in Swan Point Cemetery. By the way, it was interesting. The first time I found H.P. Lovecraft's grave in Swan Point Cemetery, I went up there on my lunch hour, and 
got lost. I came back an hour late from lunch because I was lost in uh, Swan Point. At first, that was amusing. Then I thought, the sun's going to be going down, and we locked in here. But uh, I did find my way out and took the bus back to work. But get back to that original tribute service. It was March 15th, which was a Sunday, 1987, commemorating the 50th anniversary of Lovecraft's passing. Now, when Keith and I arrived, there were already about 30-something people there, and the crowd swelled to over 100 people that attended that day. So it was an impressive turnout, and that was with relatively little uh, publication. So Lovecraft was known. That was uh, He was a presence in Providence. Uh, he has a following. Yeah, and they had the news there, the TV news and everything. And uh... yeah, Channel 10 News was there. That's back when you could film and take pictures uh, in Swan Point Cemetery, their policy prohibits that now. It's an issue of privacy. Some people had a fuss because uh, in one of my articles, there's a picture of H.P. Uh, Lovecraft Stone, and you can see the uh, the inscriptions on the headstones in back of Lovecraft's grave and their families took umbrage to this because they didn't, they didn't want that publicized, which is rather strange because Swan Point is, is beautiful, uh, beautiful setting. Mm-hmm. And you can see the graves, uh, some of the graves in, in their website and pictures. But... Uh, it is a policy of Swan Point Cemetery that uh, people not photograph in cemetery grounds. I have personal permission to take pictures of H.P. Lovecraft's grave, but uh, not not of the surroundings. Because we're related, I, we're families. So. Yes, and I honored that. I, I can respect that. Which is why you have it at the uh, at the Lad Observatory. Oh, that's precisely now. right, Keith. Uh, that's why three years it'll be three years this uh, this year, this March 30th, that we have been holding the H.P. Lovecraft tribute on the front grounds of LAD Observatory to enable people to videotape and photograph this event and record it. Um, people want to document it. Otherwise, it's like a, like a production that nobody photographed, and you just remember, you talk about it for the yeah. next year. In- incidentally, if anybody wants more information on this, we have it on our website, nearparanormal.com. And also, uh, if anybody wants to go to Quahog.org. There's an impressive write-up about it where you can actually click on the pictures and actually see photographs from the actual cer- ceremony, so you can see more what it's like, get an idea of it. Yes, our friend Chris Quahog.org. Yeah, go to their um, attractions section, then from there go to graves and click on H.P. Lovecraft, and you'll you'll get the whole story behind it. I actually was on that website earlier today, uh, in. Uh, one of the stories I wanted to ask you about in relation to Lovecraft, you, know, you mentioned the, the grave, and you mentioned the 50th uh, anniversary was passing in 1987, but on the 40th anniversary in 1977, a group got together and, and bought a headstone for, for Lovecraft's grave, uh, inscribed with the phrase, I am Providence. But then in 1997, 20 years after that, apparently somebody tried to dig up the grave. Well, that's right, yeah, it was in October of 1997, um... Uh, some industrious uh, people snuck into Swan Point Cemetery. Apparently, they made a sincere attempt to unearth the mortal remains of H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, they they dug a hole that was about three feet deep. Uh, I don't I don't know how they expected to actually uh, succeed in this enterprise, but yeah, it made the papers, and that's of course security was heightened after that. And even now, and uh, every Halloween, they have spotlights trained on the Phillips plot that uh, contain the mortal remains of H.P. Lovecraft. That's his family plot. And they'll have spotlights, and they beef up security. Oh, 
somebody's going to start digging again at some point. And it's, uh, that's, and in fact, that's another reason why I started holding the tribute services. To give oh. people an outlet to, to find out more about H.P. Lovecraft and hear his stories and you know, see his gravesite after the, after the tribute service. But his body isn't actually under the headstone where they were digging, though. No, it's not. That, that stone was placed there because that was an available space, and it uh, aligns with the headstones, wedge-shaped headstones, like, as is his, of his mother and father. So they're all in a row. Uh, but he's, he's some yards away. He's in that plot, but I'm not sure who knows exactly where. It, it reminds me of a similar story uh, for, for a different reason. Are you familiar with the story of John Belushi's grave on, on Martha's Vineyard? I've heard something about it. I they, that his ghost was seen there, but... It's been seen frequently there, including by Dan Aykroyd. But uh, they actually had to move the body from underneath the headstone because crazy people were going out there getting drunk and trying to dig him up. So they moved him to the back of the cemetery under a certain tree that only the caretaker knows and the family knows exactly where he is. Uh, and I, I guess you know there's nothing under his headstone anymore. So when people do try to dig it up, they're not going to find anything. But some industrious youth decided they would just wait at the... Uh, at the cemetery until Dan Aykroyd showed up or, or Judy Belushi showed up, and then they just would go to that spot, and then they had to move him again. So. Oh, my word, they were persistent. So uh, well, It can be like that with a lot of celebrities, exactly. especially with you know, Mr. Belushi, uh, who is you know, you know, a well-known comedian but also controversial, and H.P. Lovecraft, you know, because his tales were a supernatural horror. You know, his... Um, the vampires' graves, yeah, they they oh, they're being desecrated constantly too, you know, because of the notoriety of it. So you get that yeah. same problem. Oh, by the way, the title I've chosen for this year's tribute service, Lovecraft Rising. That's that's just something that I thought sounded catchy. I, yeah, but what are you really going to do? What if, what if people come there and they expect to see him there? It's Lovecraft Rising. I mean, you know, they're they're going to be uh, hey, we we came here oh. to see Lovecraft Rising. You know, that's a false promise. I portrayed H.P. Lovecraft in a play that was written about his life and writings by author Brett Rutherford and uh, called Night Gaunts. And uh, I achieved, a, I will say, a remarkable resemblance to H.P. Lovecraft. It was, you know, makeup, basically. I, we're too distantly related to claim a family resemblance, but uh, I, I did look remarkably like H.P. Lovecraft in that play. Now, if, if I can lose about 70 pounds before March 30th, and maybe I could convincingly... <laughs> yeah, well, actually, actually there was, uh, several years ago, in the Providence Journal, they printed... It was supposed to be of H.P. Lovecraft, but it was actually of Carl, and they thought it was actually... Well, they've <laughs> done that several times in the Providence Journal. They published this picture of me that... Uh, I'm holding a candle there, and I made up as H.P. Lovecraft. It was a publicity shot for Night Gaunts, for the production of Night Gaunts. Now, if I had known so many people were going to take that seriously and believe that was a photograph of H.P. Lovecraft, and it's in black and white, a sepia tone... And um, I wouldn't have held the candle. I would have sat as for a straight portrait, so it'd make it more convincing. I've seen the photo. It is very convincing, and uh, like you said, though he was a little bit more uh, a little more gaunt than you were. Yes, he was you, a night gaunt. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why I would have to. I was uh, when I did that production. I was 132 pounds, not my 200 pound bulk now. So I would I would have to slim down to make it just to fit into the clothes I wore then, but. Uh, I thought of that. In fact, I thought of it like appearing as H.P. Lovecraft because I did uh, six years ago and I, when we held it at Swan Point Cemetery again. I, uh, I did an excerpt from the play Night Gaunts and I repeated my, my role, my makeup as H.P. Lovecraft. So 
Yeah. I haven't done it since then. Yeah, but isn't uh, the uh, Ladd Observatory supposed to be haunted by him because he spent so much time there oh, in yes. life? They, people have seen him there. If you talk to the overseer there, uh, Robert Horton, or Francine Jackson, is the uh, resident astronomer associated with Ladd Observatory. Yes, there's uh, on the anniversary of his uh, death, one of the March 15th, uh, some items were moved around and there was a big crash and nobody could hear what, uh, nobody could find what made that substantial noise. So, yeah, it seems like uh, there's some activity associated with H.P. Lovecraft there. But H.P. Lovecraft was very, very much a homebody. He was very devoted, sentimentally attached to his beloved Providence. So, if anybody should be a ghost lingering around, I would think it'd be, it would be H.P. Lovecraft. Lad Observatory and also um, there's another uh, 10 Barn Street, a resident, a resident, uh, a residence of his formerly. 10 Barn Street is another place where his ghost has actually been seen. Well, if his so ghost is there, I uh, know Near Paranormal will be the ones to uh, document it. We will, yes. I we definitely will. And maybe we should have Chris Balzano portray him this year. Huh? I, I don't know if that would resemblance work. there or what, yeah. <laughs> We'd have to work on him. <laughs> You'd have to start working out a little bit first, I think. No yeah. no offense, Chris, but, you know, that'd be like, uh, you know, if, 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 if I was going to pick a stooge to portray and I tried to play Larry, you know, it just wouldn't work out. <laughs> Not when I'm built, I get the built-in curly body. I was going to say, or me playing curly. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. I'm closer to Mo, actually. And Mo would be the more fun one to portray, I would think, anyway, because you get to poke everybody in the eyes. <laughs> so he and, took his lumps, too, though. And, and you, guys can, uh, you guys can poke people in the eyes at your class in South Coast Learning in New Bedford. Not literally, but, I mean, poke them in the eyes with evidence. Warm up. Poke them in the eyes with good evidence of the paranormal. Oh, yes. That's a perfect way to end it. All right, we'd like to thank Keith and Carl Johnson for joining us tonight. Thank you. It's been my pleasure, too. And, yeah, my and pleasure. We love having you guys on every time that you're with us. And, of course, go to their website, nearparanormal.com, N-E-A-R, paranormal.com, and you can find out all their latest happenings. Uh, there's a calendar there with uh, all the information about Lovecraft Rising, about the classes coming up in the various locations, the conferences that you can see the Johnsons along with Sandra Johnson as well, uh, all getting together and presenting uh, their, their lectures and and teaching their paranormal classes. And so definitely go there, check it out, get all the information, and, and watch Ghosts Are Near. It's, it's there every week. Every time there's a new episode, you can get it right there as well. Download it to your PSP, to your iPod. That's how I watch it. I put it on my iPod. Yes, let's not forget that there's Sandra Johnson, too, Keith's wife. Yes, absolutely. One, one of us does have a wife. I have my girlfriend, Laura. Keith has Sandra. And Sandra's the, the glue that keeps you guys together, I think. I she think she keeps that machine rolling. She's factor. She's the organizer. Well, everybody needs one, and we're still trying to find ours here on this end. So. <laughs> but uh, we thank you for joining us, and we'll talk to you soon. We'll definitely see you at one of these classes coming up. Thank you, my friends. Okay. Good night, Tim and Matt. All right. Good night, Good night, Good night, Matt. Good night, Matt. Bye-bye right. <laughs> now. Bye-bye. That is the Johnson brothers, Keith and Carl Johnson here on Spooky South Coast, and, of course, Keith Johnson, our first guest ever here on Spooky South Coast. So we're always going to be eternally grateful to him for that sitting through the growing pains of that first episode. And Carl recently made his first appearance back in September when we were at Paranormal X, and you know, we're always glad to, to bring him into the mix as well. We are coming up on another news break. When we come back, it'll be the final half hour of the show, and we've got some huge news coming up. You don't want to miss it. We'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. You asked for it, you got it. And this is Spooky South Coast, Volume 2. 
Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen. Welcome back. Our number two and a half. I don't even know where we are. The final half hour of this week's program. Uh, what time is it, Matt? Is it daylight savings time yet? Do we have to set the clock back yet? Take another couple hours. Another couple hours? Okay. Now, wouldn't it be interesting, and I, I know that, you know, uh, Coast to Coast gets to do this all the time, but wouldn't it be interesting if we did a show one night uh, during daylight savings time, we actually stayed on the air through daylight savings time so we could literally time travel? While on the show, wouldn't that just be unique sure. and different? We could we could get like a time travel related guest for that show. It'd be crazy. It'd also be on very late, and we'd probably fall asleep. Yeah, because uh, we're not really. It, it's hard for us. It's hard for us to get through a show sometimes <laughs> without falling asleep during it. Moniz is obviously asleep already because he's. You can barely hear anything out of him. All right, I'm, I'm just teasing. Don't forget to set your clocks back at two o'clock. No, set it ahead. Spring forward. Fall back. So tonight's night we all get ripped off an hour of sleep. And it always seems to come in the night we most need it, too. But, uh, you know, it's it's part of life, I, I guess. guess. So. Now, Matt Moniz, you and I have something going on that we're, we're working on, some little thing that we're, we've been concocting. And this is the, the big news that I've been telling everybody about before is uh, we've been fortunate enough to be able to investigate Lizzie Borden's house on a regular basis uh, because through the show and through our own research and... And the fact that, you know, we we just do everything we can to not anger the owners. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've been fortunate enough to, to have pretty much free reign to investigate Lizzie Borden's house. And, and now what we want to do is we want to try to give the listeners a chance to do the same. Uh, but a lot of times when people want to go there and they want to conduct an investigation, they book a room to stay. And there's people staying in other rooms so they don't get access to those rooms. Uh, or they'll go on the tour and they don't really get to break off from the tour and actually do any investigation. So we, we've come up with a way. To, to cut out all of those limiting factors. Exactly. Yes. We, we've come up with a way to open the house up uh, basically to the spooky South Coast audience to be able to get out there and investigate Lizzie Borden's house. And there, there are a number of events that go on there. Chris Moon's Ghost Hunters University uh, is one of them. Todd Sheets is going to be coming in with his Night Watchers group. But these are kind of organized, structured, you know, we're going to do this, this, this at this time. We're going to have this class. Chris is going to teach his class. Then Chris is going to do a box session. You know, it's kind of, you don't, you don't really have free reign as much as you would, right. you know, if you were just investigating the house. But unfortunately, it costs a hell of a lot of money to be able to buy out the house for the night and conduct an investigation because of all the costs associated with operating the bed and breakfast and you know, everything from turning the heat on to insurance and so many things going on. It's a business. I mean, and you're renting out a, a, exactly. a business facility. So they can't just turn it over to groups for free like so many groups would like to have. So many groups say, you know, I'd like to be able to get in there and investigate, but you know, I can't afford to pay what they're looking for. Well, we, we've kind of come up with a way where we think we can appease both sides of the audience. We can get the, the, the researchers that want to get in there and do the investigations without having to shell out too much money and we found a way for the average person just interested in the paranormal to kind of get involved and step right into a house that is what we consider to be very haunted and very active. So it's kind of a, a real good mixing of both worlds, and maybe some first-time investigators will get a chance to investigate with some seasoned investigators and see what's going on. Groups will be forced to work together. Uh, I think it will be a unique approach, but here's what we're doing. On the night of May, um, sorry, April 6th, so that's literally less than a month away, uh, April 6th, we are. it's a Sunday evening. 
we're basically taking over the Lizzie Borden bed and breakfast for the night. And what we're doing is we're allowing the casual fan, the serious investigator, whoever it is, to purchase a ticket for that night. They're going to be $75 per ticket. But this money, of course, goes toward paying for the house for the night and also uh, for the guests that we're going to be bringing in, which nothing is set in stone, but pay attention to SpookySouthCoast.com and we will announce the guests as they come aboard. Uh, we're trying to put together a mix of people who can offer up uh, a lecture, a class, uh, give some pointers on investigation, can work with you on the investigation uh, as well while you're out there poking around. But if you don't want to sit there and you don't want to listen to, oh, let's just say, for example, Chris Balzano uh, being part of it and, and giving a discussion, or if you don't want to see Matt Moniz giving a tutorial on how to use equipment or anything like that, you've got the whole house to yourself. You can go out and investigate, and you'll know that there's just a class going on in the dining room or the parlor or whatever, and you can have free reign over the rest of the house for the entire night. Mm -hmm. You bring your video cameras, your EMF detectors, your... Anything that you have, anything that you can use in an investigation, bring it. We're going to see some strange and unusual approaches to this. We're going to see people bringing in equipment that they use that we never would have thought to use. Uh, people who have kind of made their own makeshift equipment out of you know everyday stuff you can buy off the shelf at Walmart. I think there's a lot of potential here for some interesting and unique, and it, it should be a fun night, absolutely. But it's going to be a, a serious investigation and a serious chance to experience something paranormal. Well, I like the idea of it being a mixture of people and techniques and procedures that that they would use. Yes, we'll have classes. We'll show you, you know, for the people that have not really done this before, how to use your EMF detector, what it means when these readings are going off, whether these readings mean something because you're next to a power source or whether it's something paranormal, how to use, you know, the equipment, or you can just cut loose if you already have an idea of what you want to do and just roam the house and do your own thing. Yeah, I mean, it should be easy enough because due to fire laws, we can only open this up to 20 people. So if you have a group of five people and all five people are interested in getting into the group, getting into this event, you know, there's five people off the list right there. So your group is part of that five. So, you know, you might be on a floor by yourself for the entire time and then be able to switch floors with the other people. It's going to be very limited, and, and that's why, you know, the cost is what it is because we have to be able to, you know, pay for the cost associated with the house and bringing in the speakers and whoever else is going to be there. Uh, and and we'll, we'll probably buy some pizzas and stuff too. Yeah. But, you know, we, we just want to make sure that we make it affordable, uh, we want to make sure that we make it accessible. So we think for $75, we can get done what we have to get done. If Moniz and I have to dig into our pockets a little bit and make up the difference, we don't mind doing that. Yeah. Uh, because we really want to give people the opportunity to experience what it is that we're experiencing. And I just, outside At of... At an affordable rate. I mean, $75, if you can compare this against some of these other uh, places that are offering similar things, this is definitely... And much very reasonable we're not trying to get into the tourist business no. here you know we're not trying to start putting together there's other people who do a great job putting together paranormal retreats paranormal events we're not trying to copy them in any way we're not trying to do that we can't do that we don't have the uh you know we're not the detailed time planners and or the time really yeah. to do that yeah. all we want to do is we want to give people a the chance to experience yes. what we've been experiencing firsthand outside of having to, you know, rent out the entire house for the evening. And we think this is the best way that we can do it. Moniz and I, we know the house like the back of our hands so we can help eliminate a lot of things that, you know, other groups might go in there and get a false positive with. 
you know, and also we also have a tendency of stirring up the activity when we're in there as well. So maybe that benefits. You especially. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be out there in full force that night. I'll be stirring up as much trouble as I can. So $75 a person. We'll have all the information up later on this week at SpookySouthCoast.com. If you'd like to get involved in this and you don't want to wait for, you know, the, the link to go up on the website, which will probably be a, a PayPal, uh, you can, you know, pay for it via PayPal. You can send us a check or a money order, and then once it clears, we'll send you a ticket. You know, uh, besides all that, you know, before we even get all that information up there, if you want to reserve your spot, email me, uh, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com. Or you can also email me at my Hotmail account, timweisberg at hotmail.com. Get a hold of me that way. Let me know that you're interested. Let me know how many people are interested because not only are we going to sell you a ticket for $75 to get into this event, we're also going to offer you an opportunity to get a room at a discounted rate. These rooms that are at the Lizzie Board and Bed and Breakfast, they generally go for about $250 on the second floor to $175 on the first floor. We've talked to Leanne. We've kind of worked out a bit of a deal, and we've made it $150 for every room. Whichever room you want to rent out, it's $150. Cut rate on all the rooms. The only catch is it's going to be first come, first serve. So if the first person that you know wants to stay at a room wants to stay in the murder room where Mrs. Borden was killed, you know then they're going to get it. But every room in that house that you can stay in has had documented activity in it. Every room has the potential for something to be going on you know, while you're laying there in bed getting ready to fall asleep. So... N- Nobody should dis- be disappointed with whatever room they get. There's definitely a potential for activity. So if you want to get a room and you want to book a room, also let me know that ahead of time. Again, $75 a ticket to get into the event. So that's $150 per couple. And then it's $150 to rent out a room. Now, if four people want to get involved and share a room together, then that cuts your, you know, you're paying about $35 a person to sleep there for the night on top of the ticket. So you can't go wrong. I mean, it's probably the best chance you're going to have. Uh, we'll probably put, you know, like a 2 a.m. limit on the investigation or a 3 a.m. investigation limit just so people can get in and get to bed. Right. If they're going to pay for a room, they're probably going to want to crash. So, And then if people want to go into, you know, their room at 1.30 and go to sleep, we'll just say, okay, that room's off limits now. But we'll, we'll work out all those details as we go along. Obviously, as you can tell, we're, we're still in the planning processes of getting everything all together, but we want to get people in there before the busy season starts. And then our hope is that we can do this on a regular basis uh, and not bring in the same speakers and other investigators each time, you know, kind of have a, a rotating schedule of who's going to be there so that if you go there this month and you get to investigate with this person and this person, well, if you want to go there again the next time we do it, you know, you're going to get a chance to work with different people who have different styles, different approaches, and different knowledge to bring to things. Well, we we got one person that definitely is very interested in uh, being one of these people. Can, can we say anything yet? Do you? Yeah, she's okay. not a problem. Donna LaCroix, she, she's very much into doing this with us. Uh, she loves the house. Uh, she has a great time working with us. And she wants the chance to be able to be with people and do an investigation with, you know, a real investigation with regular people. You know, she, this is one of the things that she's all about. She mm-hmm. really is a people person. And, and she likes to see other approaches and other right. people's styles, too. That, that's what she was talking to me about. I, uh, she's like, I want to show them how I do things, and I want to see how other people do these 
investigations? What can I borrow from mm-hmm. them? What can I learn from them? But just to be clear, we can't guarantee Donna's going to be involved in this first one because of her shooting schedule with Ghost Hunters. But we can guarantee she will be involved in one. She'll be part one. of one of them eventually, for right. sure. And, of course, anybody that's been a guest on Spooky South Coast, it, they're all people that we would love to investigate with and have you have the chance to investigate with. So, you know, we'll be bringing in all kinds of different uh, all different investigators, all different lecturers, you know, so many options that we can do here. And it's just, it's a shame that there's a haunted location like that that has so much activity and people could learn so much from. And because of, you know, the operating costs associated with running that business, and it's it's not cheap, folks, for, for her to open those doors. Uh, and if she's not renting the place out to people, then it's 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 going to be a drain on her financially. So that's why, you know, we're going to charge some tickets. We'll rent out the rooms at a discounted rate as a way to just make sure they can cover their costs and everybody can have access. And I think we're going to come away with some phenomenal evidence. I I agree. I mean, everything's done for basically the cost of opening the doors and giving the people the opportunity. It's not really anything to do with profit. It has to do with research. And if anything was profit, all it would go into is more equipment for the next time, more promotion for the next time, you know? Or, or more pizza. Or more pizza. I don't know. I can't. I'm not, I'm not eating that much pizza these days myself, so somebody gets my extra slice. But, again, Tim Weisberg at Hotmail.com, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com. You can email all three of us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com, or get a hold of me on MySpace myspace.com slash spooky south coast let me know that you're interested and then a little bit later on this week once we have everything kind of all synced up with paypal we'll put up a link up there so you can pay for it uh we'll give you an address where you can send a check or a money order to and and then you know we'll just send you the tickets and we'll have everything all worked out by then and then so it'll be sunday april 6th we'll uh get back to you with the exact time so we're going to start early i mean we're going to give we're going to be there late afternoon early evening to give people a chance to, to talk to some of these investigators, take these classes, learn a little bit before they just go crazy in the house investigating and, and poking into every possible corner. So, But just remember, my room's off limits. I don't want people rooting through my stuff. Well, it's a great chance uh, to I'm also not, l- learn honestly. history, too, um, actual piece of history. Absolutely. I mean, that no, alone is worth it. Sure. So, again, just... Get a hold of us, watch for the link up there, and definitely be part of this, and, and hopefully we can do this on a frequent basis. I'm very excited about it, as I think you can tell in my voice, and I, I think uh, it's going to be a success. So uh, another thing I'm very excited about, Matt Costa. What's up? That's the Week in Weird. Is it? More bad news. Well, I got a great show for you today, but some wonderful weird stuff. The Week in Weird. All right, a very quick Week in Weird here because we only got about 10 minutes left in the show. Nine minutes. Clock's ticking. Less than that, actually. So let's get to it real quick. Uh, How about Facebook? TechCrunch is reporting from multiple sources that Hollywood heavyweight Steven Spielberg is preparing to launch a social networking site a la MySpace or Facebook. Rather than the film focus you might expect from the producer behind On the Lot, uh, the, the reality show where people got a chance to become their own movie producer, movie director, it seems the new site will be aimed at users who've had or who are interested in sharing paranormal and extraterrestrial experiences. Spielberg, whose movies include Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Poltergeist, E.T., The Extraterrestrial, and more, is said to have experienced paranormal encounters himself, both as a child and as an adult. 
The new site is said to be in production now, being created by a team in L.A., and will be launched in the next few months. So, of course, we'll keep you up to date on that for sure. One other real quick story that came from the New York Daily News. It's Ghostbusters Brooklyn style. A team of self-made paranormalists is offering to come to your house in the middle of the night to chase away any unwanted spirits. Sal Ciccone is 27, along with Sergio Ocasio, who's 20, and Samantha Ramirez, who, are, who is 18, have plastered Brooklyn offering their services for $20 an hour. This is a trio who are otherwise unemployed. So far, they only have one client, a Red Hook man who said he has two ghosts in his apartment. Uh, they went to his house and waited around till 3 a.m., I'm presuming charging him $20 an hour while they were waiting. But uh, they used a homemade Ouija board to try and coax the ghosts into talking to them with no luck. The trio are big fans of the film Ghostbusters, and having no formal training, they watch the Sci-Fi Channel's Ghost Hunter show and A&E's Paranormal State for tips. So, uh, I was just, I was disheartened when I read this. I have to be honest with you. To look in the New York Daily News, one of the, I guess, I don't want to say respected papers because it's the New York Daily News, but it's one of the most notable papers in the country. And here they have a story about three people who just decided to start a ghost hunting group because they watch ghosts. Essentially what we talk about all the time here, you know, people who don't really have the training, don't really have the experience and want to get into the field, which is great. I'm all for that. You absolutely should. But you can't come out of the gate charging $20 an hour for your services. Get a job. Use that job to support your hobby, your interest, your endeavors. Get a job. Don't charge people $20 an hour for paranormal research because you're giving everybody a bad name. And I don't care who you are or what shows you're watching to gain your, your information. You're not a good enough investigator to charge, even if you should charge. You don't see people like Keith and Carl charging. You don't People see with 30 years' experience, experience. In, right. in, in the field. I've never charged a person for anything in any of my investigations. I mean, it has to do with credibility and integrity. You know? Well, I mean, again, I don't know these people. They could be three of the nicest people in the world, but you just don't sound like you're that experienced, and the fact that you're charging shows that you don't really know that much or else right. you would know better than to charge. So McDonald's will give you enough money. You know, you can go work there flipping burgers. Trust me, some of us actually do flip burgers to support the paranormal cause. Wow. <laughs> Matt Costa, what do you have for us? From uh, Reuters in Bordeaux, France. The mayor of a village in southwest France has threatened residents with severe punishment if they die because there's no room left in an overcrowded cemetery to bury them. In an order, ordinance posted in the, city, in the city council offices, Mayor Gerard Lelaine told the 260 residents of the village's support that all persons not having a plot not having a plot in the cemetery and wishing to be buried are forbidden from dying in the parish. It added offenders will be severely punished. So I don't know how the mayor Punishable by death? I don't know. Punishable by life. <laughs> the mayor said he was forced to take drastic action after an administrative court in the nearby town of Paul ruled in January that an accurate that the acquisition of adjoining private land to extend the cemetery would not be justified. Lane, who uh, celebrated his 70, 70th birthday on Wednesday, is standing for election to a seventh turn in the month's local elections, said he was sorry that, that there had not been a positive outcome to the dilemma. And that was brought to our attention from an Eagles angel on the uh, forum. 
Don't you die on me. Don't you die on me without the proper paperwork and accreditations. All right, Matt Moniz, uh, I hear you have a story that is uh, about something that is not unlike the final moments of a spooky South Coast that runs late, black <laughs> holes. <laughs> Professor Ulof Leonhardt and Dr. Frederick Corning used intense light pulses to create an artificial event horizon. The defining feature of a black hole known as the point of no return. The development may allow researchers to test Professor Stephen Hawkins' theory that black holes are not black at all, but in fact radiant with light. Researchers will be the research will be published tomorrow in Science. Uh, it's a magazine, I assume. <laughs> okay. It is the first time that the scientists have successfully stimulated an event horizon using light. There is no danger, however, of the scientists being sucked into a deep into deep space by an intense pull of gravity, since the tabletop device only acts on light and optic fibers and is perfectly harmless. St. Andrews' demonstration of physics behind the event horizon in which they measured the shifting of light has been described as a milestone. Researchers accomplished the feat by firing laser light down an optical fiber with different wavelengths of light moving at different speeds, creating a distortion which caused a wave of light to be trapped, effectively a black hole event horizon which cannot be escaped. The fiber optic black hole created by St. Andrew's team was on a shoestring budget and could allow physicists to investigate what happens to light at both sides of the event horizon, something they describe as a feat that is utterly impossible in astrophysics. Previously, researchers have compared a black hole event horizon to a river flowing towards a waterfall. A horizon, a point of no return, is formed at the point where the river moves faster than the speed of the waves. Instead of water, St. Andrew's researchers decided to use light because it offered, offers unrivaled advantages. Light is the purest and simplest quantum object imaginable, uh, creating fiber optic horizons of pure glass, light, and air. The researchers said that the event horizons are not hard to create and that making the long-distance telephone calls can create them without the callers even noticing. You can stimulate an event horizon in a kitchen. Just let water from a tap flow onto a flat surface until the ring of water waves appears. The water inside the ring is smooth and moves faster than the waves around it, making it impossible for the waves to enter the ring. Instead, the water flows outward and gets slower. The rings of the waves form at the circle where the water slows down to the speed of the waves. This circle represents a white hole horizon, explained Professor Leonhardt. It happens all the time in optic telecommunications where information is carried by light pulses which change, in, which change the speed of light. Whenever people communicate via fiber optics using the internet or making long distance phone calls, they create numerous artificial event horizons as a slide effect without noticing it. The front end of each pulse generates a black hole horizon and an area of light cannot leave while traveling at ends acts like a white hole horizon 
an area that light cannot enter either, he said. Pretty interesting. So I have two questions for you. One, isn't that kind of cool if they're creating a black hole in the laboratory? And two, can you do it? Yes. All right, let's do it. Okay. All right, we'll definitely have to do it. That just sounds cool. I have fiber optics. I have lasers, and I can... I, I... Very nice. And if, if we do get sucked into it, that would be pretty cool, too. I like the other one that, that well, they're using a very large um, cyclotron to generate a uh, black hole. That one is a little bit more dangerous because that, oh, thanks. <laughs> that's where you're dealing with the real serious black hole. And speaking of black holes, we're slowly devolving into one as we come upon the final minutes of this week's Spooky South Coast. The next week, we are going to be on, uh, at an early time, we're going to be on before the Boston Celtics. They have an 8.30 tip-off time. We're going to be on from 6 to 8 o'clock, and uh, we got some things in the works for next week in a special primetime edition. So, of course, that might change depending on, you know, we never know what's going to happen. But just stay tuned to SpookySouthCoast.com for any updates, and, and we'll let you know there. Uh, so... Remember, this Thursday night, go to South Coast Learning to uh, learnconnect.com to sign up for the Johnson's class. Pay attention to SpookySouthCoast.com for information about the Lizzie Borden investigation. And just because we're on late and because our audience is you know, so passionate and they're so dedicated to us that they're, they're putting in the extra time, even though it's daylight savings time, let's give out a T-shirt. You want to do that? Sure. Okay. The first caller that calls in and tells us what is written on H.P. Lovecraft's headstone. We said it earlier in the show. 508 You will win a Spooky South Coast t-shirt. And now, for until next time, for Matt Costa, for Matt Moniz, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although... In many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. Look, I know the supernatural is something that is...